Michigan Liberation is a statewide network of people and organizations organizing to end the criminalization of black families and communities of color in Michigan. We envision a state without mass incarceration, mass policing, and punishment. We envision a state with the best public education in the nation, single-payer health care, and thriving black and brown communities. Here on the Respect the Rules podcast, we will lift up the stories and experiences of those impacted by mass incarceration, collective ties to the criminal legal system, and the frontline efforts to end mass incarceration. Hey everybody, I'm Miss Marjan, and welcome to Michigan Liberation's podcast, Respect the Roots. Here today in the studio, I have, let me, hey, let me crank it up, y'all. I got Alexandria Hughes and Ashley Daniels. What's up, y'all? Hey, hey. Hey, what's going hey. on? <laughs> what's going on? Hey, those pretty faces, I'm telling you. You know, today we're going to talk about one of the campaigns. We've been talking about some of our campaigns in Michigan Liberation. But today we're going to be talking about um, care, not criminalization. And also we're going to do a little mental talk because, well, first of all, Allie, welcome to Michigan Liberation. She's one of our newest members and everything, but you are a mental health professional and so forth. So we want to hear about that side of it because care, not criminalization is really deep and everything. So I want to educate people in this episode about mental health and also what care, not criminalization is doing you know, in the community and how it pertains to Michigan liberation and everything. All right. So with that, hey, I'm going to see. Let me see who wants to go first. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait. Well, first of all, let's let's talk about care, not criminalization. Ashley, what is care, not criminalization? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ms. Marjan. So care, not criminalization is a campaign that's guided by the principles of holistic care and harm reduction, healing and destigmatization. And what it really is at its core is ending the criminalization of mental health and substance use. Um, But really, it's like, in essence, a blueprint of what the world could be and should be if we institute more care and more love. Because truthfully, harm reduction is love. So that's a little short. uh, That was good. Wow, that's good. You know, it's so funny. I just watched a video on harm reduction. I had no idea that that was connected with, like, drug usage. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think that sometimes when you think of harm reduction, you think of kind of like maybe cutting yourself or something like that. But And then also, like you mentioned, not criminalization, how how you're not trying to criminalize yourself Mm -hmm. for being on drugs and so forth. Because we always want to say, oh, you on drugs, you you know, you, you know, whatever. So thank you for that, you know, definition and everything. Alexandria, what's going on in mental health? I mean, what's going on? Well, first of all, let me start with this, y'all. If I have a situation, my brother's having an episode, I call the police. You know what I mean? I mean, are we supposed, is there a mental health professionals we can call? Because the police ain't working. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And and that's the thing right there. Uh, It's a lot we have to unlearn, right? Right. So most recently, the 988 number went live. So in terms of what to do, that is an option um, because that is a a network of mental health professionals. But even with that, you have to keep in mind the system we're working within. Um, And that system includes the emergency response, policing. And it could be likely that they do call the police in some instances. Um, 
So I would say first, educating yourself to make sure they're or to prevent future crises. Right. So it's not just responding when it happens, but educating yourself to try to prevent it again or or uh, find out what coping methods you need, you know, like just really investing in that. And then um, also uh, utilizing the tools that we do have right now. If it's 988, get educated on that. Um, and then get educated on what you can do in your community to make it safe for them next time they have a crisis. All right, that's what's up. And the reason why I kind of went in with that, because that is something that a lot of people are dealing with right now, and that is if I, not so much me, you know, but what about if I have a cousin, a brother, my parents, I don't know, my own child is having an episode, what do I do? So thank you for that, because I know that's been happening a lot, especially on Facebook. A lot of people have relatives that they just don't know what to do with when it comes to this mental health issue that we're dealing with and everything. So, yeah. So, well, you know, we want to come back to that. But also, Ashley, I want to now tap into care, not criminalization. I know you, you got a lot going on with the campaign. And just tell us what all is going on. Well, yeah, so there are a few things going on right now. Like currently, uh, Michigan Liberation is teamed up with an organization called Reframe Health and Justice. And we are co-consultors being funded by Vital Strategies and MDHHS. And we're being funded to find 8 to 15 people to sit on a racial equity work group. And that work group is is being formed because... um, just this year, Michigan reached uh, over 100,000 deaths and overdose, overdose deaths. And so we mm. also are receiving $800 million, roughly, in uh, opioid settlement funds. And so the governor had formed a task force to kind of determine where this money's going, how it's going to get spent. So the work group is going to be working in tangent with this task force because, uh, and it's important because. Black, Hispanics, and Natives are, have the highest overdose rates. Like, it's the, very disproportionate. Wow. And we also have the least amount of resources in our communities and also the highest incarceration rates. And no offense to the task force, but it's very whitewashed. So we need to see representation in where this money is going and how, make sure that it comes back to those communities that have been heavily affected by this since the war on drugs and before. This hasn't. This isn't a new issue. This is an issue that has been going on since forever, and it's just that now that a lot of young white kids are dying from it, is now it's just became this crisis when it's been a crisis since the beginning. Right. So you're looking for this work group or you know group of people to come together and help hold the Michigan task force, like accountable. Yep, accountable and to also come up with a strategic plan on how to spend the money and help end some of the the disparities. Okay, all right, all right. And so if someone is interested in applying or getting more information, is there a way they can reach out to you and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. So the folks that we are looking for to sit, you know, on this racial equity work group is we want people with lived experience. So whether it's them or a loved one who is either living or in recovery uh, with substance use or mental health, um, we want them more preferably to be BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, person of color. Um whether they can they can be incar- have been incarcerated or not they can work in a state agency or not 
Um, we, we do what we don't want is any police to be on this work group because, one, they're represented in the task force already, and two, uh, police officers and correction officers tend to bring traumas, especially into BIPOC communities, so we don't want to trigger anyone or make them potentially scared to tell their stories in repercussion. Um, so, yeah, those are the folks that we're looking for. All right. That's what's going on. And I know I've had the pleasure, all of us, I know, Ali, you've had the pleasure of attending some of these listening sessions that, Ashley, you've had. Because mm -hmm. once people have applied or, or haven't applied, you've been encouraging people to come to your listening sessions. Oh, yeah. And just, I forgot to mention that. That's that, all right. Um, though. That's why we're to, here, honey. <laughs> to, if if, if <laughs> folks are interested this. in applying, they could email me at ashley at miliberation.org. Well, um, we do have, like, this little form qr code we could text it out put it on our page or something yeah. and it could get folks straight to it but yeah honestly mental health and substance use tend to have a lot of overlaps as is like a person can be living with mental health considerations but look as though they use substances and even though they don't and even vice versa wow wow so like i said we I've been, to, I've been to one of your listening sessions, and I know, mm -hmm. Ellie, you've been involved, and, of course, Ashley, you've been one of the facilitators. Let's talk about that, the listening sessions. What, first of all, let's talk about the purpose of the li listening sessions. And I, I don't know if you want to talk about it, Ashley, and then, Ellie, you want to throw in your two cents about yeah, what yeah, it was like in, yeah, cause being I got, involved in one yeah. and everything. But So most people, when they hear listening session, they think that they're just coming there to just listen. Right, just listen. <laughs> they, they think... <laughs> All I'm going to do is come and hear some information, mm -hmm. but that's not the case. That's not the case. Like, yes, you're going to hear information, and yes, you're going to listen to other people and their stories, but our hopes and when people come to listening sessions is for them to share their stories as well. And some of the stories that we've heard have been mind-blowing. For example, there was a, a, a veteran who um, I believe served six years and got deployed, and while she was in deployment, she uh, sustained some injuries and ended up having to have multiple surgeries. After her surgery, she uh, began having mental health considerations, mm -hmm. and she went to the VA, you know, asking for help, and they told her to suck it up. Mm. So then, following that, she ended up beginning to use opioids because she was already being prescribed them due to her surgery, started becoming an avid user, and then due to her substance use, and despite the fact she tried to get treatment, she got dishonorably discharged. She wow. brought, in essence, shame to her family, and that's a big thing, too, shame and stigma. Shame and stigma is... I would say a huge killer of a lot of people. Like people are worried about the overdose deaths, deaths but not thinking about how they might have contributed. Like when you shame a person, they're less likely to go get help. When you make it seem like what they're doing is just terrible, they're less likely to go get help. They're more likely to just do things in the dark. And the crazy thing is, is that 70% of substance users are not, addicted so to speak um mm. it's only about 10 to 30 percent of even the most harder most substance users are our everyday professionals but a lot of them are just too shamed to come out the closet and say like yes i use heroin or i use 
acid or I smoke marijuana or any of that. Like there's a lot of shame behind it. But if we cancel out the shame and we end the stigma and just love a person and like, you know, as long as they're being responsible adults in their drug uses, it shouldn't be an issue. Just like we have bars, just like we have dispensaries, we should have safe consumption sites because it will limit the amount of overdoses. It will limit the amount of HIV and hep C transferred through needles. It will, like, eliminate the shame and the stigma, and people have a safe place to right. go. Wow, that's deep. Now, Allie, um, you have been to one of the listening sessions. And see, probably your perspective is different than mine because you come from that mental health, you know, field. What have you been seeing in the listening sessions or just in your field, period? Well, first with the listening sessions, I, I see parallels between, you know, what I do um, as behavior therapist and then also in the listening sessions. I see people not knowing where to go to get services and, and uh, you know, turning inward and to themselves and trying to figure out what to do, uh, you know, and you know, further harming themselves. Uh, I see, uh, you know, the stigma exists in schools, you know, helping those with autistic, autism spectrum disorder. Uh, a lot of time you have teachers that aren't supportive. There's been instances where they want to meet out of the school um, mm. completely. And, and we've, we, we made so many accommodations to, to meet the teacher, to respect the teacher's classroom. And, and even with those accommodations, it ended up where she didn't want, um, you know, the child there. This was like a 10-year-old. Uh, so it, it, is, it is the way it is in the industry is the same way it is in um, outside of the uh, mental health world as a, um, as a professional because we're still lacking the resources we need to help people in both instances. Right. Yeah, and not just lacking the resources, but the knowledge of where the resources are. Like, one of the things that came out the listening session was, like, folks was like, you know, I wish I knew where I can get Narcan or go get resources. Like, why can't there be a billboard or even a flyer or something at the liquor stores or some of these other places that right. can show places where to, you know, show people where to get resources or treatment from? And not only that, but the resources that are out there the wait lists are ridiculously long. And wow. and even if you do get the resources, they can be quite expensive. Uh, during a listening session, it came out that one person was paying $10,000 for 30 days for treatment. And the mm. Medicaid also only covered three days of treatment. Wow. So it's unaffordable, you know. Mm -hmm. Just insane. like everything else, it's a rich white person's sport. Right, right, right. And that's... I don't know. That's that's insane. Like I went to one of the listening sessions and, you know, sometimes you forget even in within the counties here in Michigan, how there's certain resources in Oakland County versus Wayne County, mm -hmm. you know, and even cities, you know, and, and you wouldn't think that was the case. But it it is. It is. And it's sad because you're thinking like if you can do it in Oakland, why can't you do it in Wayne? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, that, and that's that's. Uh Yes, <laughs> I really want to speak on that. So, like in, in Oakland County, seeing that there's a behavioral health, um, behavioral health urgent care, that Common Ground Crisis Center is starting in Oakland County. But you know, the largest, our largest black population is in Wayne County, and in terms of the metro area, 
you know, that's this is that's where you're going to find everyone. And then those most likely have mental disabilities, also substance use issues or not having access to it at right. all. But then the behavioral health urgent care goes to Oakland County. Um, it, to me, that makes no sense. All the data points to the fact that, you know, BIPOC communities need these resources right there in their community. And that's not what's happening. Right, right. And for those who are listening or watching, explain what BIPOC is. Because some people are, you know, it's all about educating. That's one thing, Michigan Liberation. We'll break it down for you. What does BIPOC mean? Yeah. (laughs) Just for those Uh, who don't know. So black, indigenous, uh, POC, people of color, um, is BIPOC. Okay. Um, So uh, B.B. Moore, um, someone to look up, uh, she created or she was... um, a journalist and advocate for uh, black mental health, black woman, and uh, that's how BIPOC mental health was created in July. Right. Um, and Congress, you know, in 20, 2008 passed a uh, bill on that. But um, that's why it was, because it, it, it's not focused on, the access isn't there, and representation. How many therapists do you know that are black? How many, and where do you go to find those people? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> right. That's why we have a problem, right? And let's just be real, because we got like about three minutes left, and time is goes by so fast. But we're just kind of like, you know, really s- slightly, you know, scratching the surface. And of course, you got to come back, and we can go hard in the paint with some more topics. But I just wanted everybody to know about care not criminalization, and just also a little bit about mental health. What do you want people to know? The takeaway, you know, as it pertains to care not criminalization and mental health, you know, what do you want them to know, even in mental health as it pertains to Michigan, here in Michigan, you know, from each of you. I'll let Ashley start and then you'll finish us up, Allie. Yeah, I think, I think what I would like for people to know is like what I said at the beginning, that harm reduction is love. Right. And that shame and stigma kill. So if we look and move and operate, whether it's these laws or whether it's just how we act in our everyday lives in a more caring way, in a more loving way, in a more understanding way, trying to get down to the root problems or causes or issues, I think the world will be a much better place. You know, there will be more happier people. There will be more resources if we can just be what we are and human beings instead of thinking that the mighty dollar runs everything. Wow. Thanks, man, Ashley. Alexandra, take us on home with what you want people to know as it pertains to mental. Yes. You know, um, I'll say uh, focus on mental health as much as you focus on physical health. Invest as much time into both because they intersect and one does impact the other. Mm-hmm. And if our mental health isn't what it needs to be, we won't be where we need to be physically. I'll also say take a mental health first aid uh, training. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time you can do that through universities for free. Wayne State has a suicide prevention program where they offer that for free, an eight-hour course. Right. Wow. I will also say work with those around you in your community to create, you know, to have a, a sort of your own system of, of safety, of wellness. Yeah. So that when someone is in need, then you have people to go to. There's nothing worse than not having 
not having the tools you need when someone is in crisis. Right. Thank you. Thank you, both real, of you. Real quick before we do end this, I do want to do a shameless plug for my lib. Uh, we are a Narcan distributor, absolutely free. And also we have fentanyl testing strips as well for free. So if anyone needs some, email Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, at miliberation.org. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Ashley, Alexandria, for coming. You Thanks, Miss Marjana, for having uh, thank us. You. Thank <laughs> you. Make sure you check <laughs> us out, everyone, on My Liberation, our website, myliberation.org. Until next time, all right, respect the roots. All right. Michigan Liberation Education Fund, C3, conducts grassroots organizing, leadership development, and civic engagement activities. Michigan Liberation C4 and Michigan Liberation Action Fund, IE, are sister organizations.